Hello, this is Ken Ferry with this week's Boots in the Field report. It's good to be back in the saddle after being gone all last week uh, doing some fishing. People have been asking, how did that fishing go? One word, hot. <laughs> Saturday was 102 degrees up there. Uh, well, it was only 88 in, in Hayworth. Pick the week that we go up there for the jet stream to bring up record temperatures. Um, so yes, it was in the mid to upper 90s pretty much the whole week, which made fishing a little tough, but we did catch enough to eat, so um, we survived. But probably better than that was just taking a week to unplug from everything. I'm going to make that a recommendation for all of you guys out there, um, is to think about unplugging for a whole week from the farm operation after dealing with COVID last year and all the things that are going on. I think sometimes we forget about how unplugging for a week can really sharpen your skills. Now, I'm not talking about taking a couple days off from the farm and help around the house to get things done. Now, I'm talking about putting the family in the car and taking off. And taking off for my suggestion at least a week. Now, you got to unplug if you're going to do this, right? So, if you're that guy standing on your pontoon in the middle of a lake on your cell phone trying to run the operation from a vacation, that's not a vacation. If you can't handle that temptation, give the phone to the wife or leave it at home, but just put the farm in the review mirror and walk away from it for a week. You'll come back sharper and, and I think a, a, a lot of pressure can be taken off. We'll call it the Farm Mental Health Week. Maybe if we call it that and you tell your tax man your crop consultant recommended it, maybe we can deduct it on our taxes. I would double check that first though. Crop report uh, coming from Minnesota. Of course, where we were, there wasn't a lot of corn soybean production until we got down St. Paul way, but the uh, southern half of Minnesota is dry. We saw a lot of silver corn that was showing some pretty dry stress. Uh, we saw dry ditches, um, and situation will look more like an August type of a of a trip. There would be occasional spots where you could tell they got rain, but basically that dry weather held all the way through Minnesota down into northern Iowa. Um, we saw a lot of rootless corn, meaning even in fields that were worked, rootless corn. Sometimes you think about that in open slot where the crown roots will not grow into air, but they have to have moisture. And in this case, these fields are worked, uh, but they're so dry at the surface as we try to make that handoff from the seed roots to the crown roots in that V4, V5 window, it's too dry and the crown roots just come out and nub off. And I could see corn leaning. So whatever direction the wind would blow, the corn's going to lean that way and it's um, going to be that way until we get some rain into it. And it had a number of calls coming in from Iowa as well about their rootless corn. Will it survive? Unfortunately, if it tips all the way over and um, breaks off, uh, the, the mesocotyl breaks off, no, that corn won't. But in most cases, uh, all it's going to take is one good shower and this thing will re-anchor. You'll have a little nook there at the bottom if they're leaning too hard, um, but it will recover pretty fast. But the only cure for the most part is rain. We can sneak in there and do a little bit of cultivation. Uh, where we'd roll some soil up around the base of that plant that will stimulate the brace roots to take off and they don't need water um, they can grow in of course in the air if they if they need to but by rolling some soil around the base of the plant you will stimulate that now again a rain is a probably the quickest way to get that done but 
Um, definitely could tell it uh, in the trip back. And since I've been back, I've had a couple, three calls on that. You guys wondering about this corn that just seems to be leaning in all different directions. If at all possible, yeah, I would I would lay off the herbicide application if you can. I know you got to keep an eye on the weeds and label restrictions. But if you could give this corn a chance to finally set those roots, you would be better off. Southeastern Iowa actually looked pretty good. No, no doubt the garden spot is here in central Illinois. We saw the corn closing the rows and, and beans not too far behind. Uh, to say that we probably got some of the best looking crops right here in our back door in that trip that we made last week. Those beans when we left are at that V4 range getting ready to make their own in and take off. They have just jumped the week we were gone. A lot of reports about that first week in April beans are flowering for a lot of the customers. They're reporting some good flowering. Here at the college campus, our 4-6 beans planted June 4th did start to flower while we were gone. They started on June 11th. Our group 2s and our group 3s are full of flowers out there. Doing field visits uh, today, the beans planted in that April 16th through 19th are just starting to show some flowering um, and, and here on June 17th, but we had to look for them. They weren't easy to find. I think they will be flowering uh, by the solstice, so they will be early, but uh, definitely the, the beans planted in the first week of April look to be the ones that are flowering the strongest right now. The beans that were at V2 to V3 stalled out in the carbon penalty when we left last week they're still stalled out these beans have been still stalled out now or locked up for going on two weeks they're inching their way closer but fields that just two weeks ago looked pretty uniform or kind of uneven and rough out there and that's because they're stalled in the in the carbon penalty uh, and they will come out of it on the other side but especially strips where you have heavy residue maybe where the the combine uh, didn't spread it as well or you maybe stopped and started with some of that down corn and you got piles of residue, definitely that, that carbon has got these beans locked up and they need, to, they need to get moving. As I talked about in a YouTube video that went out um, about that ugly corn stage where you're making that transition from the seed roots to the true roots, we're seeing a lot of that show up in different fields. Uh, as I traveled around this week and doing farm visits seeing that some of these fields that were somewhat uniform now are not and we're having we're struggling with the transition meaning anything that messed with those crown roots and slowed it down is now showing up so typically wheel track compaction and things like that um, but we are also seeing some rootless corn issues here locally meaning that that surface area right where the crown area develops at that top three quarters of an inch in some of these fields is so dry that we're not getting the root, the crown root development that we want. One of the areas you can run in that in, into is if you don't firm the soil tight enough over top of the seed in these dry years, especially if you're doing tillage. That's why we stay away from a spoked-like closing wheel in a conventional till system because we can't firm enough to keep that moisture tucked in. So uh, we're going to need some rain here to eliminate um, some of those issues that, that we're seeing out there in some of these fields. Now, not much from disease that I can see out there. We are dealing with some rhizoctonia in the soybeans. That's mainly in the areas that were wet and now we're hot and dry, the conditions that would trigger that rhizoctonia. We are losing some stand and seeing some stunting. 
Boy, a little bit of rain there would help that recovery. Uh, get get some new roots generated on those tap roots and get them off and going. But f- beyond that, the disease pressure that I've seen out there so far is is nil to none. Uh, with these low humidities, that's probably going to be the course uh, until we see the temperatures change. As far as the insect front goes, the rootworm hatch is well underway and probably in a number of areas it's done or almost done and larva feeding is now starting to become more evident out there. We used to do rootworm floats um, to try to salvage any, you know, mishaps we'd have for instance insecticide applications blow it off target that type of thing so you would start those rootworm floats early part of next week to start making evaluations should we rescue or not now we don't have any rescue products to go back with so doing the rootworm floats for rescue probably not worth your time but here in about two weeks we need to start doing our rootworm floats for evaluation evaluate your traits to make sure that we don't have rootworms coming around it and we talk each year as we find more resistant spots and for some of you guys that are using non-gmo corn in your area and you're trying to decide can i get by with or without an insecticide here in the next um, two weeks it's time to go do some rootworm floats and evaluate not only the larva and the pupa pupa count in the sample but the damage And if you you can't rate it, take some pictures of it. But now you're making decisions for next year or your area as far as are you going to need an insecticide. We'll deal with the adult rootworms when they come out closer to pollination. But it's getting time to to, um, get the pest team geared up to do some rootworm floats here. I would say 10 days, 2 weeks. It'll be easier to see the larva and the feeding will be there. And you could do it in 3 weeks as long as you're Again, we're just looking at damage that was done out there in the field. We really can't fix any issues that you run into. Corn borer moths are are flying. We're catching some in our traps. Um, Again, here for pest teams, you're going to be scouting the non-GMO fields. And any of those non-GMO fields that are over 18 inches tall, they've lost their natural uh, corn borer resistance. Uh, so we want to be pulling whirls and, and checking for the a corn borer. It's a situation where this time around the corn borer are going to be after the biggest corn out there. So if you were one of those guys that planted non-GMO corn Easter weekend, uh, you would be a prime candidate for corn borer and they can bank up into fields just like cutworm do. So a situation where they, they may uh, bank up into your field if it's the biggest field in the neighborhood. So if you don't have traps out to help monitor the moth catch then it's time to start wandering through those fields some fields we walked through today i could see the moths fluttering in front of me uh and those are are signs that you'd watch for you see moths moving in the field they're probably there again traded corn we're not going to worry about it but a lot of non-gmo corn planted out there that doesn't have corn borer protection this corn is too expensive to let these corn borer uh, take away so that big corn let's make sure the the team is out there scouting that all in all i'm a, i'm impressed with what i'm seeing here locally i think we got a big uh, a big crop on the hanger we sure could use some water and hopefully we'll get that the soil testing crews are just pounding away on these acres doing a fantastic job they're going to be mopping them up pretty quick again if you got anything that needs summer testing let's be sure you let katie know on that Uh, so we don't miss it while we're going around and then you can have those wrecks back before fall with that 
Let's go. To stay up to date, check out our website at croptechinc.com and subscribe to our podcast, Boots in the Field Report. Keep her safe, keep her moving.